You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 27 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast, a show for November 2015. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and joining me today, I have a fabulous panel, as always. Um, I think I'll start with the person farthest away from me and probably already in tomorrow. We have Alistair Jenks back with us again. Hi, Alistair. Good morning, Bart. It is morning for you. Okay, it is tomorrow. (laughs) Absolutely. Saturday morning. Lovely morning, too. Excellent. Well, we're in the middle of an orange weather alert, so the wind is howling, the rain is pouring. Yay. Anyway, also then from, well, I guess from the other ocean over from me, we have uh, Robert Carter back with us again, the tech doctor. Hi, Robert. Hi, Bart. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Delighted to have you back. And then we have a first timer, so a, a voice we have not heard on this podcast. We have Tim Robertson from the Tech Fan Podcast with us. Hi, Tim. Welcome aboard. Hey, and I do apologize if you hear any bangs. I'm, I'm real close to the mute button. But oh. I've got a guy putting a metal roof on my house. So it could get a little loud occasionally. I'll hit the mute button. Well, that sounds like a good idea when winter comes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the nice thing about a metal roof is you can just lay it over top of an existing roof. And that's what he's doing. So he could do it year round as long as there's not snow on the roof. Because <laughs> then he might fall off. Well, it's, that's bad for him. But at least I'd be entertained. True. If you have a camcorder, a camcorder, a phone, you can make some money on YouTube. Anyway, we have a whole month of Apple news to talk about. Um, so let's start with the notable numbers section. Um, so the first notable number that caught my eye this month is Apple's share of global smartphone profits is up from 85% last year to 94% this year. And it continues to get these ridiculously high percentages of the profit by selling a mere 14% of physical devices. So on the one hand, this is a story we've all heard before because pretty much every time they do a study where they do these sort of magic numbers where you have more than 100% of people making profit because Apple and Samsung make a profit and everyone else makes a loss. And Apple always make less devices, but... To go from 85 to 94% in one year is really quite spectacular. It's not just Apple's doing, though. Well, that's true, actually. So the, if you click on the show notes over at less-talk.ie, there is a graph. And the Apple graph is going up. There's, there's no doubt about it. But there is a mirror image graph, which is the Samsung graph, which is plummeting. And it is like every Samsung person is going to Apple or something because the Apple goes up every bit as much as the Samsung goes down. And I it's think not only story. Go ahead. Sorry, I, th- I think this story is going to hit the mainstream media when that figure reaches a hundred percent, because it's <laughs> going to bend, bend some people's minds. I think. True. The, the the other aspect of this is the Android makers are battling each other fiercely, and they're dropping their prices. And when you drop your prices, you make less money. And Apple is not doing that. They've never gone that route. So. When they sell something, they're still making the profitability that the Android devices aren't. At the same time, they're sourcing the products a lot cheaper now, the the parts for the iPhone. So it's a win-win for Apple. Yeah, Apple has proven they know how to make money, that's for sure. Yeah, it just astounds me when you look at this graph and you see companies like Lenovo spending absolutely years making no money. 
It's just this red line at the bottom of the graph that's basically in or around zero, a little bit under, then a little bit over, then a little bit under. A year after year after year, and they just keep plugging away at it, bless their cotton socks. Yeah, you have to wonder what um, what keeps companies like that afloat because, you know, Lenovo's other brand is, you know, generic laptops, which, I don't know, do they make a lot of money? But that market's massively contracting, so well, that's mar- good for them. Yeah, that market's shrinking, and them and Dell and HP are in a race to the bottom there too. So, again, they're playing the narrow margins game. Mm, and they don't have anything in, in, uh, in reserve like perhaps Samsung do. Samsung make lovely televisions. No, they yeah, make great Sam- toasters Sam- and refrigerators and Yeah. Don't they make don't they make super tankers as well or something silly like that? I think they do actually have a shipyard now yeah. you mentioned it, yeah. They, they make the chips companies. for Apple's phones. I mean, you know, they they benefit oh, yes. when Apple sells a lot as well. So Samsung's playing both sides of the fence and and the Android market, they're that's why they're so strong. Because they make money when Apple sells phones. That's a good point actually, which is not a bad way to end up, I guess. Okay, the next number we have is one that I think needs to come with a slight health warning. It, I, I stuck it in the show notes because everyone else is talking about it in the media. So at face value, it says that Apple is getting more bang for its R&D book because Apple only spend 3.5% of their revenue on R&D, whereas Qualcomm spend 22% and Facebook spend 21% and Google yeah. spend 15%. Okay. That is factually true, but utterly meaningless. Because the dollar amounts tell a somewhat different story. So Qualcomm, who seems to be spending most, spend $25 billion. Uh, actually, sorry, yeah. Then Facebook spend only $12.5 billion. Google, a whopping $66 billion. Apple spend $233 billion. So another way to say is that Apple spend... Three time, or more than three times as much as Google on R&D. But, of course, that's not the headline you've seen all over the place. Well, when you, when you make as much money as Apple does, uh, you know, and you spend a lot of money, it's a small percentage because of the revenue that you're generating. Yeah, it's, it's operating at those 30, 33% margins that Apple does is what makes these not real numbers come the way they do. Or these misleading numbers, I guess, is probably a fair way to say it. Well, they're not misleading. They're just pointless. Perhaps that's it. Because, yeah, they spend a gobload of money. And all the headlines are that Apple doesn't spend much on R&D. Say, like, okay, then. I'll have some of your not much, please. $233 billion. I think you know, the they're, other... they're, breaking, they're breaking the model because people have always said R&D is a percentage of revenue. But what people aren't used to is somebody having way, way more revenue than everybody else. Yeah, and you, and you also have to look at that some of these companies like Qualcomm, they're spending a lot of money in R and D, but that's directly benefiting Apple because they're spending this money in R and D so they can make better chips that Apple will then buy for them and sell on their iPhones and iPads. Uh, All roads lead to Apple. Yeah, and it, it's even and the it case, does. It's even the case that Apple kind of get to dictate what those people spend their R and D money on. Oh, no question yeah. about it. Apple is one of the biggest uh, buyers. I mean. They're the kings of the hill. I, all you have to do is look at what Microsoft just released as a commercial to as proof of that. They, their commercial is Microsoft employees going to an Apple store and singing Christmas carols. I know. I, I don't get that. Just, Apple is one of their biggest customers. Yeah. Apple's customers are their biggest customers as well now. Well, they're getting there. Well, that's true. Yeah. 
It's a funny world we live in. Because actually Apple and Microsoft are kind of aligned on some things now where Microsoft seems to be on the same boat as Apple that privacy matters. We're going to give you guarantee that European data stays in Europe. Which is a very Apple-y way of looking at it. It's a weird world. Not to mention all the apps Microsoft is making for Apple devices now. They really want in, in that in that world. Yeah. And I mean, I've I just, I just been playing around with Office 2016 and it, it's a nice app. Well, Microsoft finally wised up and realized that their company doesn't make products for an insular world anymore. They they have to be, they have to embrace other platforms, and they they kind of always did, but in their own way. Now they have to play nice. They have to compete fairly with everyone else. And uh, honestly, so far with iOS and the Mac, they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. I think they had to make that change if they were going to grow. Well, I think the reason that they suffered so badly under Steve Ballmer is because they didn't, yeah. Because I don't think Steve Ballmer could get his head around the notion that you can support not Windows. Well, he's he was a dismal failure his last couple of years there, and now he comes out with snarky comments oh, against I, I, Microsoft. Yeah, part of me was tempted to stick it in the show notes to, 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 to say naughty things about him, but I didn't bother. Okay, any other thoughts on this, or will I move us on to the next number? Okay, so Consumer Reports have perhaps found the obvious, but uh, they did a, a customer, sorry, a survey of customers and found that the most satisfying and reliable laptops are MacBooks. So I guess the biggest news here is, is you can say, I told you so, when other people say, oh, what do you mean? What's so great about a Mac? It's the best. Like they say, it's the best Windows machine out there. <laughs> it really is. Uh, one interesting take on this I've heard is that, you know, so all of the Macs in this survey are high-end products because all of the Macs Apple make are high-end products. Whereas the PCs in here range from, you know, $300 junk up to your Dell XPSs, which would rival a MacBook. So maybe if you only looked at the XPSs and the ThinkPads, maybe then people would be as happy as the MacBooks. But even yeah. that doesn't quite seem to hold up. Yeah, but you can't find enough people that bought the expensive PC laptops to, to get any kind of accurate numbers there. They, they just don't sell a lot of those units compared to, as you put it, their junk units. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the whole PC industry is racing to the bottom, just like the cell phone industry was doing before Apple released the cell, the uh, iPhone. It's, it's a race to the bottom to get the least expensive thing out there with almost 0% margins just to get them out there. The, this whole concept of we'll sell a whole lot of them and we'll, we'll make up our money in the, quali- uh, the quantity rather than the quality of the product. And Apple's proved that time and time again that that is not the way to do it. But I don't know, the Dells, the HPs, the Lenovo's, they just don't seem to understand that. And they keep marketing these cheap, junky laptops that run a Chrome browser and and they can't, they can't figure out why they're losing money, why they're losing market share and and Apple keeps selling more Macs than they've ever sold before. It's You would think they would figure this out, but they just don't. Well, they're also somewhat stuck, I guess, in the Windows world, because how can you really compete with, with Apple's level of integration if you don't have your own OS? Oh, it's easy. You, ha- you have commercials that go, PCs does what? I did not get those. I, I did, what? <laughs> <laughs> they're the worst commercials ever. Have you seen them? I yes, well on the internet rather than on television. They don't seem to have put them on over here, but oh. they didn't work for me. 
they, they don't work for anybody. They're it's a it's a sad joke. Yeah, yeah, because they like lots of PC manufacturers got together and designed by committee. And well, I guess designed by committee is the answer. But anyway. Okay, the next story that caught my eye in terms of numbers, and there was a, a surprisingly large amount of numbers. I usually only have one or two every month, but there was quite a few this month. So we all know that the Apple Watch has very high customer satisfaction numbers, but not 100%. So there are people who are not happy with their Apple Watches. So an interesting survey that was done was to ask that very small minority of people who are not happy, why? Why is it that you're not happy with your Apple Watch? And uh, so a couple of things came out of this that were interesting. Uh, The first is that the more techie you are, the more likely you are not to be happy, which has been the case, I believe, in every bit of numbers we've seen since the iPhone has come out. Non-techies seem to like it way more than techies, which I don't get because I love mine. Um, And also, most of them, even though they're not happy, they didn't give it away and they still wear it from, from time to time, which is interesting. So anyone else have any thoughts on... Yeah, this this talks about people who have given up wearing the watch. Mm. I would have thought that that would not be a percentage of the customer sat surveys because surely the customer sat is people who do wear it who aren't happy with it. Or is it not? Well, it's people who buy it and aren't happy with it. It's customer sat, isn't it? I suppose it could be. Well, but it yeah, like they it's... didn't give it much time, though. You know, I mean, they, they were talking about how... Yeah. They mm. they got they stopped wearing it after two weeks or less, and that really isn't much time to to have it integrated into your lifestyle. Yeah, but you got to remember this is a society nowadays where we want instant gratification, and after two weeks, they're like, "I don't get it. I'm just taking it a off." Point. Yeah, you yeah. got a point. Yeah. And fifty uh, percent of them did wear it for more than two weeks before they made their decision. But yeah, seventeen percent within days stopped wearing it, and twenty eight percent within two weeks. So you're right. At least half the survey, their opinion isn't particularly valuable. Um, the reasons they gave then, I mean, some of these are a bit wishy-washy. I didn't yeah. find enough value in it. It was 63%. Okay. Well, I, no, I, I'm quite happy with that one because it's an expensive item. And if I buy an expensive item, it, it needs to be at the very least delightful, if not very useful. That's why I haven't bought one. I don't. I don't yeah. see a, a compelling reason or where it fits into my life that my iPhone six plus isn't already, you know, there. That's a very tech way of looking at jewelry. Yeah, but I, you know, I've got jewelry. I've got watches. They're not comfortable to watch, to wear, and I don't need a three hundred fifty dollar replacement timepiece that just adds a little bit of functionality to something I've already got in my pocket. That's that's the main reason that I haven't picked up an Apple Watch. No, I, I didn't mean that as as a, as a criticism. It's just I I think a tech person looks at an Apple Watch very differently to a person who used to have a Swatch, and you know they would happily have paid hundreds yeah. or thousands of dollars for a watch. They're going to have a very different view of it. So I I, I think if you look at it as a piece of tech, it's very easy to say quite an expensive piece of tech and it doesn't do all that very much because it is and and it doesn't and in a lot of ways honestly the value i guess is in the eye of the beholder because in my work i work as a psychologist in my other life and it's extremely valuable to me to be able to have silent alarms notify me when it's time for an appointment to be up or to have notifications come in that are silent but that let me know i need to deal with something so the watch has been incredibly useful to me in that way but it but not everyone has a need like that 
well, what surprises me about the watch, because I, I sort of bought it partially, well, no, I was going to buy a Fitbit, so I wanted some sort of tracker, and I was like, I know, I'll have a Fitbit and a watch. I'll get the two-in-one, I'll get an Apple Watch. But I wasn't really expecting to find it all that useful, but what I found with it is that it's sort of the inverse of death by paper cuts. It's great value by having simple, tiny little things happen 20, 30, 40 times a day. Each individually yeah. is insignificant. You add them up, and goodness me, I love my watch. But, I agree. You know, in terms of it being in the eye of the beholder, mm-hmm. the Apple Watch is is going to be either functionally useful or fashionable uh, in the eye of the beholder in each case. So I can quite happily see that people don't, some people don't see the value in either of those things for that price. Now, I've said myself, you know, if if somebody, well, let, let's say I managed to destroy my Apple Watch today, mm-hmm. would I buy another one? I'm not convinced I would. But if you halved the price, yes, in a heartbeat. Well, okay. And if you apply that test, the answer is yes, I'll be on Apple.com within five minutes. Yeah. But so these people, they're saying, who, who didn't mm. see the value in it uh, are more on my end of the, well, yes. I'm probably in the middle of the spectrum, I suppose. Then the next most common reason after I didn't find enough value in it was um, I thought it was too limited, which is, again, a very much a technological person's way of looking at a watch. And kind of the same as the first reason, really. Yes, I'm seeing very little difference between those two. Uh, I thought it was too slow. That's a valid criticism. It's, it is what it is. It's a limited piece of equipment because it's diddy tiny. The battery didn't last long enough. That's hardly an unfair criticism. And... Uh, Oh, I can't even read the last one. Tether to the to iPhone. The time. Oh, they have to. Yeah, okay. That, I don't know. That one doesn't annoy me, but okay. Uh, no. To me, it's as if the, it's always on because as soon as I lift my wrist, it's on. As soon as I put it down, it's off. Yeah. I've, I find about, I suppose, 85 to 90% of the time it works just fine. But there are those times when I'm you know, slouching at my desk at work and my wrist is already horizontal, and when I lift it up to look at it, I'm actually like turning it beyond the vertical, and ah. it doesn't turn on. So it, I think it needs needs some work in terms of, you know, if, if it's at rest at a specific angle and you move it through the same relative movement, it needs to turn on and not just be you know centered around gravity kind of thing. But that, that's the main time that I find it doesn't work. But if I'm standing, uh, it works 100% of the time. Yeah. And I'm sure the batteries are probably a problem if you're doing a lot of workouts, using it a lot for fitness. I've heard people say their battery really gets drained for that purpose. But for me, I mean, I charge it every night. And I don't know if it'd be a whole lot better, honestly, to have to try to remember to charge it every third night or every fourth night. I mean, that, that even in itself introduces a degree of complexity into the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It kind of has to be every day or every week, doesn't it? Yeah, actually, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good way to put it. You know, something between... Yeah, that's a very good way to look at it. Yeah, it doesn't bother me because every night my iPad, my iPhone, and my watch get plugged in. So yeah, so there are three chargers next to my bed. Three things get plugged in. I go to sleep. Problem yep. solved. And I, I've never had it not make a day. Even actually, I've done three, four-hour cycles with it and still had it last the rest of the day and still have 20% in the tank at the end of the day. Yeah, mine always makes it through the day as well. You know, I have a 42, which I guess means I have a little bit bigger of a tank than the people with the 38. Well, I've got a 38, same. and it does fine. Okay, well, that's yeah. good to know. Well, I've got a 42, and it's invariably over 50% when I put it on the charger at night. 
Yeah, mine's about 53, 54 every day. Yeah, same. Okay, so next one we have is the last of our number stories. So Apple released a sort of a note to developers uh, saying that we're going to close this door between blah date and blah date. And I forgot the right day, what blah and blah are. And then they just sort of snuck in a paragraph. Oh, yeah, by the way, we've had 100 billion. Did I say billion? No, it must be billion. 100 billion downloads from the App Store. Just sort of stuck it in at the end of a sentence, you know, cumulative downloads. Okay, great. Thank you, Apple. But 100 billion, that's that's nuts. It's a lot of anything, really, isn't it? That's 10 times more than there are people. <laughs> well, yeah, but I've nuked and paved my devices several times in the last year, so I've, I've added to that without actually getting anything new. No, they don't count that. They don't count that. No, it's, really? That, that is, yeah, that's new downloads. They don't count re-downloading something you've already downloaded. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but if you, I mean, but look at look at your iPhone. Look at your iPad. How many apps are on there? How many are in your iTunes library that you took off your phone or your iPad that you don't use anymore? I mean, Far too many. Exactly. Exactly. I've got probably four hundred apps, five hundred apps at this point. Yeah. That's yeah. true, actually. Yeah, at any one time, you might only have you might only I say only have a hundred, but yeah, you've downloaded <laughs> loads, tried them, deleted them. Yep, and they every single one of those is a counted download. I've got a little over a hundred, and it's after cleaning them out and getting rid of the ones I didn't want. <laughs> well, I just be- got yeah, I got a brand new iPad. We'll talk about later in the show. And I decided for the first time since buying any iOS device ever, well, apart from the very first one, not to do a restore. And I basically spent the day downloading apps. Like a whole day going, oh, no, I need that, need that, need that, need that, need that, need that, need that. It's full. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But, you know, that that number, though, it's a big number. But honestly, when I first saw it, I thought, wow, we just got to that point. I mean, the iPhone's been around for, what, eight years now? Yeah, but without an app store for the first at least two, was it one or two years? Uh, A year year and a half. year year and and a half. Yeah, so mid-2008, which is still a while ago, but that, that's still a very big number, though. Yeah, but, you know, you tra- I travel a lot as part of my, my day job. I, I travel all over the United States, and everybody has a, a, a smartphone. The majority of them that I see are iPhones, in fact. Hmm. And if you figure the average person has probably downloaded a couple hundred apps at this point. Yeah. Kind of surprises me that we're just now getting to $100 billion. Uh, they also threw in two other numbers into the, uh, by the way, here's when the store is closing down, which for the record is the 22nd to the 29th inclusive. Uh, so the revenue from the App Store increased 25% year over year, but the number of transacting customers increased 18%. So there's more people, but everyone is buying more. Even So there's more and more than just the more people, if that makes sense. <laughs> I didn't say that very well, but I think you know. No, you lost me. Yeah, so there's there's eighteen percent more people, but twenty five percent more money. So even it's the growth isn't only from new people; it's also the existing people buying more. No, I would I would probably hazard a guess that established users spend a lot more money on apps than new users, simply because they're used to it. They understand the ecosystem; they get how it works. Whereas a new user, they're probably really selective on what they're starting with. Possibly, yeah. I'll, Especially I'll because there is that. no there is no trial. That's still. So it makes me cranky. Mm-hmm. But there are so free it, apps. It's so interesting, though. You know, my wife, who's not technical at all, never buys an app. 
Really? And there have to be a lot of people like that out there as well. So, I mean, it's just interesting. Some of us must buy a lot of them, I suppose. <laughs> I was going to say, it okay. is us. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, lot, uh, a lot of Candy Crush users, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that, if that is – does that take into account in-app purchases or is that actually paying for an app? That would be interesting to know. Ooh, well, the wow. revenue is going to include it. both, right? Like yes. App, app yeah. Store revenue is going to include both. Mm-hmm. So 25% increase in app store revenue, 18% would, increase in people. Yeah, that would that to me I think that probably suggests a lot more people are doing in-app purchases. Hmm. Because if you look in the app, if you look in iTunes on your computer and you go to the highest revenue ones, they're all free apps. So how are they highest revenue? Well, it's because of in-app purchases. Hmm. It's the clash of clans and stuff like that that people are paying a lot of money for in-app stuff. And that's I think probably where as the popularity continues to grow and more and more and more people get into mobile devices and mobile apps, they're just kind of used to their condition to get the app itself for free. And then you unlock stuff within either the game or the uh, productivity app through an in-app purchase. Yeah. And it's also, I guess, that's a way of giving free trials in a way, isn't it? You know, you Absolutely. give away basic functionality and they say, if you'd like the pro features, in-app purchase, here you go. That's the only reason I've ever bought stuff is, you know, I, I try a game out and it seems pretty cool. And if you like this, the next 20 levels is going to cost you $1.99. Oh, I really enjoyed those first five that were free. I might as well spend two bucks and mm. continue yeah. to play it. Yeah. Yeah, because I've never spent money on if you buy this thing, you can cheat in the game. Or sorry, I say, I say cheat. You can get an advantage in the game over other players. I hate that kind of thing. Oh, uh, That or... Um, you got to wait a half hour before you you can do this oh. thing, or you can buy this and you can do it now. Yeah, I don't like that. That was I hate. Oh, yeah. they never get my money for that. They only get my money if they give me more of what I've already experienced, i.e., kind of the demo model. Yeah, which I guess is a bit like the old shareware model from the olden days. You know, the first three levels are free. Yeah, Share them I mean, with all your that's, mates. that's how Doom became what it was back in the day. They they released this shareware game for free on floppy drives, sent it up to all these computer stores. People went crazy for it. And if you want to play the next two levels, you know, send in five bucks to this address, we'll send you the floppies. That's how Doom became what it was. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what created the whole shareware model. It, there was no such thing as that kind of an economy back then. And I think this in-app purchase thing is simply a continuation of that type of uh, – an economy where, you know, you get a little bit for free, and if you like it, pay, and then you get the rest of it. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to move us into the legal later section. Uh, we'll probably go through this one a little quicker, um, but just to keep ourselves abreast of what's going on. So, a U.S. federal judge has dismissed a class action suit against Apple by Apple Store employees who were not paid for time they were forced to spend having their bags searched. Uh it's honestly made me very sad because Apple can afford not to be, you know, not to be a dick, and they didn't. <laughs> I agree with you. So I was a bit sad that it didn't make it through the course. But anyway, uh, the U.S. Appeals Court shoots down Samsung's latest appeal in Apple v. Samsung. So the next step is probably the Supreme Court. And then a few days later, Samsung said, oh, yeah, Apple, if you send us an invoice, we'll pop you over a check for $548 million in damages. We kind of sort of owe you. On the condition that we can have it back if we win our court case. Apple said, no, we don't want to give it back. We don't accept the right, your right to have it back. But nonetheless, they will, you know, in their papers, they say they're handing it over with the expectation that they'll, they'll get it back if they win. 
So that's they will interesting. If they win. The, yeah. be, Apple would be ordered to return the money if they if yeah. they lose the case ultimately. Yeah. Not that not that they would have trouble finding it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I heard they're struggling. Oh, I mean they're doomed, haven't you heard? <laughs> doomed. Yeah, oh, the amount of doomed stories. Anyway. Uh, a British man successfully sues Apple for deleting his data without asking him if he had a backup. Uh, so uh, the headlines were, you know, guy sues Apple for uh, because he didn't have a backup and stuff. But, you know, the way I look at it is Apple's guidelines for people in their stores is you ask the person if they have a backup, then you nuke their phone. And this guy got a genius who forgot. And so he just nuked the guy's phone without asking him. So I'm kind of on the guy's side, actually. Even though most of the media thought he was a loon. Anyway, no, I'm, well, I'm totally on the look. It's data, and when we say data, we it seems an insignificant thing. But when we're talking about data, we're not talking about his music and stuff. We're talking about the pictures that he took. Maybe his his daughter or his son was just born three weeks ago, and the only photos he has is on that iPhone. Well, now the iPhone goes on the fritz. Whatever, hmm. the iPhone goes on the fritz. You go into an Apple store. Because your pictures are on there. The guy doesn't ask if there's a backup and just nukes it. Absolutely, they should be responsible for that. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, in my mind, the mistake, the guy not asking. But but short of that, Apple shouldn't be responsible for people not taking care to back up their photos. Yeah. I mean, the, the asking whether it's being backed up is, to, to use an a interesting phrase, a cover-your-ass move. It shouldn't be the primary mechanism for protecting data. Okay, but, but you know, if, I, if someone says to you, fix my computer, you're not going to delete it without asking them if it's okay. No, but by the, by the same token, I think that it's very much like the, you know, don't let kids climb trees scenario because, you know, they could fall out. Well, the only reason Apple asked whether it was backed up before they delete it is you know, because the data might get lost if they don't have a backup, but it's not their responsibility to do the backup. Well, it is so, if you're going to delete the device. You've handed them a device with data on it. Apple are going to expunge the data. They do actually have a responsibility to to ask you if that's okay. So it's like if you're going in for a medical procedure, they go, they do have to ask you if it's okay that they're going to slice you open or whatever. Like it's they need to that, ask. If it's okay, yes, but if you're going into the Apple Store. And you know there's a chance that your data could get lost. It's my responsibility to make sure I have a backup of it as I see it before I go into the Apple store. Yeah. I'm on okay, but we're nerds, this. right? We're never yeah. going to make this mistake. But uh, Apple market their products at people who are not techies because basically it's, you know, it just works. It's a Mac. That's the whole idea, or an iPhone in this case. And so they see Apple as the experts who help, who guide them through their tech stuff they know nothing about. Well, in that situation i think it's very much beholden on apple to do the right thing and apple is very cavalier with people's data for the last couple of years i mean at the end of the day as much as we like the devices it's the data that mm. really matters what we're doing with these devices because let's be honest we're all sophisticated enough that if we drop our iphone in a toilet bowl we're okay. We we will get our data back, and that's what you really care about, mm-hmm. right? I yep. mean, like you said, you bought a new iPad, and you spent an entire day putting stuff back on it. Apple has been very cavalier about deleting people's data, the whole music disappearing from people's library thing. Um, 
And this is apps disappearing from the app store that you've already purchased and now you can't re-download it. I mean, they, they, their cavalier attitude towards this, that, oh, everything's up in the clouds now. Well, no, it's not. Um, th- they have to do a better job about this. They really do, especially as a consumer electronics company, which is what they are. They're not a computer company anymore. They're consumer electronics, which means the vast majority of their users are not sophisticated enough to realize that if this phone dies, all my data is gone because there's no backup. You, you don't think about a phone needing to be backed up. It's that's that's something new in the lexicon of our language and our understanding. You, you never had a backup. You understood I have to back up a computer. It's been that way for forty years. But a phone, that's still a new thing. We get it as tech guys, but you know Joe Blow on the street corner probably doesn't really understand that concept. Well, I agree. Uh, and to kind of dovetail on that, you know, people in my workplace, they have iPhones and I, I would guarantee that none of them, unless they were told by someone to do it, ever back up their phone. Maybe iCloud's on by accident. Well, yeah, but they're probably on the cheap plan and they're only they're only backing up the last couple months of it. And the, the historical pictures, they're not backed up and they don't know that. This to me points at uh, a problem with IT as a whole in that people are going about their lives expecting this stuff to work. And I'm pretty sure that you could not find a guarantee anywhere from Apple that would say your data is safe at any point in time. But but IT has been so – look, I I was an IT manager for a number of years at a major serial manufacturer. I'll let you figure that out. Um, And they make great products. Um, (laughs) IT has done a horrible job and a very huge disservice to the everyday person. They've they've made the everyday person feel stupid, that they couldn't do anything on their own without an IT professional. And they kind of bullied the general population into – Oh, it's, it's, it's a technical thing. I got to get a technical guy in here instead of educating people on how to do it. I mean, when I was an IT manager, half my job was to educate the people that I was supporting uh, so they didn't have to call me as much. They could figure out how to do it themselves. It was less intimidating. I thought that was my job. But most yeah. IT people are not like that. They treat – watch uh, – what was that UK show? Um, <laughs> the IT crowd. Yeah, I mean – it was funny because half of that stuff was true. They, they, you just treat them like rubes, you know, the yeah. everyday users. And, and so to say, well, the general population and then, you know, no, I, I think it's the IT's fault that they've created this culture that people are too stupid to do it themselves. And the general population just went, no, I, I guess we are because they were intimidated. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I have the line that says life will be worth living when Microsoft stops trying to be helpful. Because the number of the number of times I have problems at work because Microsoft products are saying, "Oh, it looks like you're trying to do this. I'm going to help you do that." No, I knew what I was doing. It wasn't that. And so I the, miss the products. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> the products are making promises that they cannot fulfill because any time you say, "Hey, I can figure out what you're doing and do something for you," you have to make assumptions as a software developer, and mm-hmm. those assumptions won't pan out all the time, so the promises get broken, and. Yeah, there was a an article on the on the net some years ago, I think, saying you know if we treated cars like we treat computers, what do you mean I have to put gas in this thing? I just bought the car and drove it out of the lot. What do you mean I have to turn the steering wheel? I thought it was just going to take me home. 
you didn't tell me that I need to turn the steering wheel. That's the job of the people that's selling it and supporting it that should have educated the public. They did back then when cars were still a new thing. They did back then when computers were somewhat new that you did have to back up. But nowadays they're just – they're doing a horrible job of educating people, educating their customers. I think customer satisfaction would be a lot higher if they spent even just a little bit of money that they're spending in R&D on educating their customers and – if you have a problem with an Apple device, good luck going on their website trying to find an answer. If you have a problem with a Google product, good luck going on their website trying to find an answer. It's 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 been an abysmal abysmal failure from every tech company that I've ever dealt with, it, with the exception of Amazon. They're really good with it, of finding the answer that you need to get help with your products, and and it's a very intimidating process. I will say that, I mean, I'm not, you know, Apple are a long way from perfect, very long way from perfect, but they're actually better at it than a lot of them because if you stick a hard drive into your Mac for the first time, it will say, how about I use that for your backup? I am sure a lot more people have their Macs backed up because of that very simple prompt than would otherwise. I don't know. I came from an Apple specialist store. I would disagree with you. Wouldn't a newbie look at that and say, what's that? Go away. Mm, Okay. Anyway, I somehow don't think we're going to solve this problem. No. Uh, what I would say is, I think the guy was—I think the—you know—I think justice was served because he went to an expert to get expert help, and they didn't give him expert help. On the other hand, the takeaway from this should not be if I lose my stuff to Apple. The takeaway from this should be, oh, I should probably back my stuff up. I'm suing. <laughs> Anyway, um, the German government surprised the crap out of me by launching an antitrust investigation into an agreement between Apple and Amazon, of all things. But actually, when I stopped and thought about it, I was like, oh, holy mother, yeah, that's true. So Amazon own uh, oh, Audible, and Audible have the exclusive contract for iBook, for, for audiobooks to Apple. So that's the two biggest providers completely sewn up together. Who else is there in audiobooks apart from Audible? So maybe this is actually a monopoly that needs looking at. I just have one question. Did Amazon own Audible when that deal was struck? Because it's an old deal, isn't it? Yeah, they've owned Audible for a very long time. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly. Yeah, both of those things are old. Yeah, I'm not sure which is quite as old as which. But it's an interesting thought. That, you know, when I started reading, I was like, oh, hang on. Yeah, they do completely own it. And in a somewhat related story, although again from a very different point of view, booksellers and authors have uh, come in on Apple's side and are hoping that are asking the Supreme Court to overturn the ebook price fixing result against Apple. I I've never understood this whole thing against Apple and ebook price fixing. I mean, it, it was so obvious that Amazon was the biggest culprit on what's going on, and they just left them completely alone. I I've never understood that. As an outsider looking in, it's always made me go, "What the heck is going on over there?" I mean, Apple sold what two percent of all eBooks mm-hmm. sold, and Amazon sells ninety eight percent. But yet, Apple's the one that gets sued. I, I don't get it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Anyway, uh, forty seven minutes in, let's move on to the main stories. Uh, well, we had a lot of good. Stuff. We had a lot of good conversation. Doesn't matter. Okay, so. The first story is that Apple started to ship its iPad Pros. So uh, I guess the question for the panel is, who has one and who doesn't? Uh, Alistair? Nope. Uh, Robert? No, sir. Tim? Nope. Oh, so it's just me then. Okay. Uh, I like mine, if that helps. (laughs) I just don't see a reason to get it over my iPad Air 2. 
It's bigger, sure, and it's got a pen, but I'm not an artist, so that's not going to do me any good. Well, I, I can buy a, a keyboard for it, but I've already got a laptop, so I don't need it for that. Um, the only time it would be of interest to me is if I needed to replace an on-the-go laptop. But other than that, it's it, it to me, it doesn't fit in with my lifestyle of how I'm using my devices as it is. So yeah, so my what I was replacing it for the, the 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 place it fits for me is I have my previous iPad was an iPad four, so the the one before the Air, and my darling beloved's iPad was my old iPad one. So uh, my iPad four got handed down, and that left me in the market for a new iPad. And the main use I have for my iPad is as a portable television. I have all my content digitally these days, um, either through apps from our TV stations or through streaming services. So I just basically walk around the house doing chores with my iPad as my television, and bigger is better. Uh, yeah, you're going to have really strong arms soon then. No, it's no, you know, because when you're coming from an iPad 4, this oh, thing isn't heavier. App. Yeah. It's just bigger for the same yeah. weight. It's heavier than my iPad Air 2. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Plus, yeah, the Air I read, 2 is I read in, in bed a lot with my iPad, and I can just see that thing as I'm starting to drift off whacking me in the face. Oh, yeah, and if you have it sideways and the lower the lever comes into it, it'll whack you good because there's yeah, a yeah. lot of lever there. <laughs> it's it's actually funny because on paper, well, not on paper, in fact, in reality, it weighs as much as an iPad 1, which I would remember as a heavy device. I've got one here. It's very heavy. But when you spread that weight over something the size of the iPad Pro, it feels feather light. Yeah, very it's a strange effect. thing. It's, yeah, it's a density thing. It's a very strange effect. Um... Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the perfect replacement for what I use my iPad for. I don't have a keyboard. I have no interest in a keyboard. I don't have a pen. I have no interest in a pen. It's just a nice big iPad, and it's fitting the bill well for me. Um, so. Which one did you get? How much did you spend? I decided to go all in. It's like my current iPad is 32 gigs, but I'm thinking it's way bigger, so I'm going to want high-definition movies on it instead of standard-definition movies. Yeah, but you said you stream everything. Unless I'm traveling, in which case it becomes my oracle of entertainment well yeah but you're not going to put a thousand movies on there no but a couple a of thousand movies in your pocket okay if we asked you right now to pull it out and okay, look at how on. much how much storage you're actually using compared to what you got oh this is going to be ridiculous because it's... so you got the 128 right i got the 128 okay so i so... bet my bet let's let's go okay. around the round table real quick my bet is you're at 50 gigs uh no, no, I'm not. Allison? <laughs> um, well, the thing is that you know, a 32 gig unit has how much usable? About 29? So capacity no, got, is 114, right? Capacity yeah, is 114 when everything is said and done. I, I think the, the 32 is too small. It's 64, I think, would be a, a valid product. The 32. Yeah, so remember I said I took all I my know. apps off and only installed it from scratch? I'm currently using 10 gigs. See, I knew it. <laughs> yeah, the I thing is, it. my last iPad spent all that money and it was completely wasted. Well, you could no. have bought that and saved the money and, and bought another Apple Watch. Yeah, well, no, but hang on thing, a sec, though. This has to last a couple is, of years. Yeah, and the thing is, if you're a geek, when you buy that 128, all your anxiety just flows right out the window. Because yes. you know yes. you have plenty of space it, to work yeah, with you no know matter what, you know what. what. Yeah, you know what that does. It it. it it encourages, uh, what's the word for it? Hoarding? Digital, digital laziness. It, laziness. Yes. You okay, know, bear- I've got the 64 gig iPod Air 2, mm-hmm. iPod, iPad Air 2. And at one point I started really starting to fill it up. I put comic books on there. I read, that's mm-hmm. where I read my comics. 
And I thought, oh boy, I, I need my space for my comics. So I just started deleting apps. And the way I did that was, uh, what haven't I played in the last few months that I'm probably not going to play? Or what, and, and let's be honest, it's games that take up so much space. Yeah. And I freed up half my space by just getting rid of stuff that I wasn't using. And if it's not on there, I don't even think about it. Yeah. Well, now just uh, to put a little bit more context in. So if there had been a 64, I would have bought a 64. But there only are two. There's 32 or 128, which is a spectacularly big difference between those yeah. two points. Yeah. And the day I bought it, I was actually traveling for work and I was at a conference and with my 32 gig iPad, and I had had to take only a half season of a TV show I wanted to watch while I was away instead of the full season because it didn't fit in my 32. Which is like, what, yeah. four gigs, five gigs tops? No. Um, 400 megs an episode, 20 times 400, 20 gigs? No, eight two gigs. gigs, eight gig. Yeah, yeah, I mean, basically, 32 would have been cramped a year from now. 64 would have been very comfortable, completely take away the stress, but I didn't have a choice of 64. And it's just 32 just didn't seem right on such a big device. You know, as long as you don't have buyer's remorse, I don't. it's all good. It's all good then. <laughs> Although I will say there's a few things about it that make me marginally cranky. I, I don't regret my purchase. I don't think it's a bad device. I think it's a really nice device. But there's a couple of things Apple did that leave you going, but Why? And I think the biggest one of them is that they didn't stick the shiny new second-generation Touch ID sensor into it, like on my iPhone 6S. They stuck the version 1 sensor in it, which is half the speed and can only take half as many fingers. And the thing is, because of the way an iPad, sometimes you have it in portrait, sometimes in landscape, you actually need more fingers scanned into the thing than you do on your phone. And it only accepts five fingers, and it's slow as molasses compared to my iPhone. That that makes me cranky quite often, actually. Well, my old iPad Mini 2 accepts any finger. <laughs> and the password. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. First world problems. No, it's 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 a shockingly... It's I like it, actually. It, it, it's not what I expected, but in a good way. Because I was expecting it to feel heavy, and it doesn't. The so only buyer's remorse I... Okay, well... Uh, uh, Alistair first, and then... Sorry, I was just I was trying to segue. I was going to say, so what's inside it? Ah, okay. Well, then before you segue, who, who else was piping in there? I was just going to say the only time I've ever had a buyer remorse is if I bought too little of something. Yeah, that's usually how it yeah. works. Yeah. Yeah, no danger there. <laughs> Definitely not too literate, this device, in any, in any sense. Um, now, so the other things I have in the show notes here that Alistair was trying to segue to is iFixit, of course, did what iFixit do which sounds like the opposite of fixing a lot of the time, but they took it to pieces to see what was inside and what makes it tick. And what they found was a USB 3 controller. Now, there's no USB 3 shaped hole, but if there's a controller in there, then it's just a matter of wiring up an adapter so the right pins are connected up to each other to, hey, presto, we should have USB 3 in this device as soon as Apple update their USB adapter for the iPad, I would imagine. Finally. Yeah, I... Grand total of times I've used a USB device on any iPad I've ever owned ever is still zero. Yeah, but one of the, I mean, I hardly ever plug my devices into my Mac anymore using a cable. Mm. Half, of, half of the reason for that is the speed. So I might plug it in more if, you know, oh, I want to just quickly transfer that, that um, you know, series of, of TV shows. 
it's going to be way quicker to plug in USB and transfer it over there, isn't it? Well, no, it's not currently with USB 2. So I'm fighting speed no matter what I do. Whereas if I had mm. USB 3, that would be fantastic. That's just, a good point, you know, yeah. Well, you would have just to use about like to go out the door. I can put eight gig on there in a matter of you know ten minutes while I get ready. Gone. Yeah, that involves using iTunes, and that just makes me cranky. Yeah, there's some evils you just have to deal with. Fair point. Fair point. Um, I will also draw. So I have a whole bunch of stuff in the show notes here. So John Gruber's detailed review. Serenity Coldwell has a lovely video where she's comparing drawing on an iPad Pro and a Surface Book. I don't draw. I don't have a pen, so. It, didn't really interest me, but I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, well, is it actually that good for an artist? Um, are there some issues where the device sometimes becomes unresponsive in sleep mode? Some people's mind hasn't done it. And Apple say they know about it and they're working on it. And uh, there was a piece that just made me chuckle that I just had to put in the show notes. So there's been an awful, 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 awful lot of reviews obsessed about the question, can your iPad Pro replace your MacBook? So Fraser Spears wrote an article satirizing the whole thing. Can the MacBook Pro replace your iPad? And it's a wonderful read. So that is in the show notes at lessastalk.ie. So just the opposite of what most people are saying. Yeah, and actually the strange thing is he does a really good review of the product, but in backwards speak. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really well-written article, actually. I really enjoyed that. I, I thought it was a great article, but I thought he overreached on a few points, which I thought was a shame. I Yeah, but if you're satirizing the ridiculous overreaching yeah. in the other articles, I think that was... But I think, I think by leaving out maybe half a dozen points, it could have been entirely factual. Okay, so Jess? That's all. Uh, such as, where was it? Um, oh, I'm going to have to find it in this. Oh, here we go. Uh, ports that most people will likely not not use very often, like SD card readers. That is the single most common uh, format for cameras in the world at the moment, is SD cards. Uh, dual Thunderbolt ports. People are screaming about plugging stuff into iPads ever since it was launched. So, yeah, I think those are a bit of a stretch, as were a few other things which I won't be able to find at speed. Yeah, but, the thing but yeah, is, very most, well written. Most people take photos on their phone, and it goes through the internet. Mm, I'm I'm not sure that's necessarily true yet, but maybe not in, in in our circles. But it's it's true. I mean, most. People that take photos now, they go to Facebook. That's their backup. The, the photos on Facebook now. <laughs> yeah, that's not much of a backup either, but let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. Yeah, okay. Um, any final thoughts on the iPad before I move us on? Do you think that this new iPad is going to reverse the trend of iPad sales? Maybe in the sense that I know a lot of people like me who have not bought a new iPad in the last six months because we've known this was coming. So there's going to be an immediate, you know, sluice gate opening of all the people who are waiting. After that, are they at its current price range, I honestly don't think so because it's priced like a laptop, right? It is a MacBook price device. The Apple Care on it is two years. Apple haven't made this thing into an actually appealing MacBook replacement. I think the iPad is a three and a half year product cycle for most people. They buy one. I mean, it was for you. It was oh, yeah. two and a half years, three years. People buy it and they use it for three and a half years and then it starts to feel kind of pokey and then they buy whatever the one that they want that's out there. So I, I, I still know people who use the iPad one and they're happy with it. 
I've got one. I try to use it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is horrible. <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, so my partner was an iPad 1 user until the, the hand-me-down. And uh, so I sort of asked, so, uh, you know, you didn't think you'd really need all the power of the bigger iPad or of the, the newer iPad. So uh, how do you feel about that now? And I was like, okay, I was wrong. I can never go back to a non-retina screen ever again, ever in the history yeah. of time. <laughs> yeah, everything is just better with each new generation, especially if you wait two or three years before you upgrade. I went from an iPad 1 to an iPad 3 to an iPad Air 2. And each one of those purchases, it was so much better. It was so much faster. The screen was better. Everything was just better. It was slimmer. It was thinner. Uh, it weighed less. I mean, it's, it's a big deal when you wait that long. And I think that's kind of how most people are with the iPads. Unless they break it, you just oh, yeah. don't need to replace it right away. Yeah, because I'm one four pro, so that's a yeah. very very similar path to what you took. Exactly, exactly. And by the way, mine are all hand me downs as well. <laughs> I even do that with my iPhones. My old iPhones are just glorified iPod touches for the kids now. Yeah, my I most all my Apple devices I can remember they always end up with someone in the family. They they never they never they never go in the bin. They're always handed down. Well, I hope they don't go in the bin. They're not supposed to. Yeah. Well, it's gotten interesting, you know, because for and granted, my needs are different than a lot of people's are, but I have an iPad Air. But honestly, I find mostly out of convenience, I do more and more things that I used to do on the iPad Air on my iPhone 6S Plus. And so, I mean, it's just so interesting how we have all these choices now. Yeah, because uh, I think actually, I don't imagine there are going to be many normal people who have an Apple Watch, an iPhone, an iPad, a MacBook, and an iMac. I, I don't think that's normal. Okay, I may have all those things, but I'm not normal. Uh, and to be honest, I'm not going to keep having all those things. Uh, I think most people are going to find that actually what I want is a big phone, no tablet, and a laptop. Or I'm going to want a small phone, a tablet, and a desktop, and no laptop. People are going to find different sort of places for the different aspects of their life in that massive set, but very few people are going to have it all. That, there's also a price mix to be considered as well. Like, I mean, I've got the iPad Mini 2, and I just spent $200 getting the screen fixed because it was glitching and being extremely annoying. Mm. And I made the choice to spend the $200 to get it fixed Yeah. Uh, against, ooh, will I spend <clears throat> a third of the price of the iMac that I've been ogling on an iPad mm-hmm. Pro because it's cool? No, I'm going to spend the $200 so I can save those readies for an iMac because the iMac is the thing that I'm, I'm really lusting after at the moment and I you know, really, really want. 27-inch? So, absolutely. All, yeah. 5K. All, all 5K pixels of them. Um, really nice looking forward machine. to it. So you know, my laptop's uh, coming out for five years at the end of 2016, and that's probably when I'll be targeting if I can hold yeah. out that long. But the decision on... My iPad's broken. Perfect excuse to get a new one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and even even the other half suggested, oh, you know, if you get a new one, that's your choice. And it's like, well, that'll be a cool thing. But would I just replace what I've got with another Mini? Seems kind of pointless when I can do that. For, you know, for $200, mm-hmm. I can get yeah. this working again, and it's a fine device. Would I go, oh, wow, all of a sudden the price is going up if I replace it with a bigger one. Would I bother replacing an iPad mini with an iPad Air? Maybe with an iPad Pro? Yes, I would consider it, but not for the price that I'm paying. So the decision on which iPad I end up with, the one I already had but fixed, was massively influenced by price, not by where it fits in my life. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think personally, so you know, historically, I would have been a laptop and desktop person, and I, I really think that this, my current laptop is already quite old. It's uh, what are you about this Mac? It's a 2011 MacBook Pro. Yeah, same. It's never going to be replaced by another laptop. It's going to be iMac and an iPad Pro for me. That is you know, my device for home and my device for not at home, although the iPad will get used a lot at home as well. But I just don't see where a laptop fits in anymore. So I don't mind the fact that the iPad Pro is laptop priced because that's what it's replaced for me. But it won't do that for everyone because if your primary computer is a laptop, no, the iPad Pro is not a laptop replacement for you. But it could be if your secondary computer is a laptop. Or if you only use the laptop for certain things. There's so many yeah, factors. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If you surf the web, you check email, well, you'll do that way more fun on, on the iPad no. than you will on the laptop. Now, is your iPad Mini that broke? Was that a 16 gig or a, 30, or a 64 or what was it? Uh, it's a 32. And How full is our, Since we're embarrassing our previous the conversation, I do occasionally have to manage the space on it. When I say occasionally, probably every couple of months. But it's usually a case of, oh, you know, didn't have room for that update. What's going on? Oh, but here's the thing. Last time I had that problem, I went looking for space and it's like, oh, I put uh, I, I purchased um, David Sparks uh, OmniFocus um, video guide, two point two gig. That that was the difference between you know being able to download updates without worrying about it and not. Yeah. So that was one video file was the difference. So y- yes, there's probably other junk on there, but it's scattered amongst so many different places. There's games and there's you know I've got iWork on there so each of those is taking up a, a you know significant chunk of space there's no one place I can go and reclaim a lot of space so I would never ever buy a 16 gig iPad ever again for any reason I would think really hard before buying a 32 a 64 I probably would yeah see I would have if I would have been in your situation I would have thought okay $200 to fix this or a 64 gig for 500 bucks. Well, I could probably sell it for a, yeah. a broken screen for 100, 150 bucks, and the money that I would have spent will go towards a new one. Now, a new one in real world cost would have cost me 200 bucks, maybe yeah. 250. Uh, except you're unfortunately using two different currencies there. Uh, the cost to fix in US dollars is probably uh, close to 100. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, in that case, now yeah, I'd have fixed it. Yeah, it, it's two hundred versus I think, I think I was looking at seven hundred just to get the same thing new. No, wait a minute, it would have gone the other way if it was two hundred pounds for you. Uh, would, New Zealand dollars. Oh, New Zealand. Oh, yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. So the the figures were two hundred to fix what I had. I think at the cheapest I could go for new was seven hundred to replace it with exactly the same model. So yeah, why not would worth you? it. No. Um, and then just climbing up from there, I think I was getting close to a thousand before I had a meaningful upgrade. Not worth it. No. Okay, I'm going to move us on. The next story I have in the show notes is sort of a meta story. I just couldn't help notice as I was reading through my RSS feeds to prepare the show notes that it seemed like every second story was about Apple Pay. For some reason, this month's news has just been wedged full of Apple Pay stories. So there were a whole bunch of and bland new U.S. banks and bland new U.S. banks. So that's all been collapsed into one story. There are now 800 U.S. banks-ish in Apple Pay. Square have rolled out new Apple Pay-enabled contactless readers. Apple Pay is coming to Domino's and Cinnabon, whatever that is. Uh, Apple Pay is coming to TSB and Tesco Bank in the U.K., 
And uh, apparently, Apple, well, not apparently, Apple Pay has arrived sort of kind of in Canada and Australia via American Express. None of the local banks got involved, but Amex rolled it out into those two countries. And then according to anonymous sources within the Chinese banking system, Apple Pay will launch in China in, tw- in February 2015, including four of the country's major banks. So Apple seemed to be serious about this. Well, define serious. It's in four countries, soon to be five out of uh, – I've been doing some mm-hmm. figures in the last day or so. Uh, Apple lists 155 countries on there uh, where can you get these different iTunes products and 120 of those can get something and mm-hmm. Apple Pay is in four. That's yes. currently 7.6% of their potential iTunes customers have access to Apple Pay. On the other hand, one and a little bit years into the iTunes store, how many countries were there? A lot more than that. Way no. more than four. No, the iTunes yeah. store. When they first started selling music, it was US only for ages. Mm, it wasn't that long, yeah. I don't think. It was like about 18 months. Yeah. There. Television, like we still can't buy television shows in Ireland. That's in six countries. Yeah, you know. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't, the percentage, ten percent of Apple's potential customer base uh, can get TV shows currently. Yeah, but TV I, I think shows have been around the, for years. Sorry, I, I think the bigger issue is because it is banking, and the laws vary from country to country. That this is a huge undertaking. So for Apple to already be into four of the biggest countries when it comes to revenue is a significant thing, but it's going to take a long time. To, to get to everywhere. It just is. Yeah, yeah but I look, at, I look at TV shows as, as the backgrounder to that. Uh, movies are available to 110 out of the 120 countries. And we know how Hollywood behave. You know, yeah, but and, that took time, Alistair. That took a lot, a lot of time. But that's more than music is available. Music's only available to three quarters of their customers. So... Yeah, I understand that there's there's stuff to be done, and you know I've always bemoaned the lack of TV shows here because I would use them in a heartbeat. But you know they've managed to roll out Apple stores to I think it's 14 countries now. I mean that must involve financial and setting up companies and all sorts of stuff. I think that a lot of how quickly they roll stuff out is how quickly they want to, and not oh, about no. excuses. No. No, no, no. It's, you're, you're kind of backwards here because this isn't up to Apple whether they roll out television shows uh, in your country. A lot of that, the majority of that, isn't on Apple's end. They're, Apple wants to sell you TV shows tomorrow. Make no mistake about it because they're losing revenue by not selling you those shows. That's not where the breakdown in the deals getting done is being made. It's, it's on your end, your country. That's where the problems are. I mean, there's so many regulations when it comes to TVs, movies, music. Banking is by far the worst. So yeah, uh, if I mean, it's not Apple's doing. They can only do so much. If, if the other side isn't willing to negotiate, uh, whether they're worried about privacy, piracy, you name it, there's only so much Apple can do. Apple also have to negotiate the- with each of these countries. So yeah, they only have so many negotiators. I would imagine that... They're going to go slowly for the first few countries to get their eye in on how these negotiations should be done, what works, what doesn't work. And then I imagine the small countries, you know, the, the Ireland's and New Zealand's, the Luxembourg's, whatever, 
they're going to be done sort of en masse once they get the rye in. Okay, so this is how this is our strategy for negotiating these things. Okay, copy paste. Since few people here, a few people here, a few people here, off we go. So the, the, what you tend to see is. You know, music is in one country only. Music is in two countries. Music is in four countries. Music is in 32 countries. Music is in 64 countries. It, it'll explode. I, I don't think they're behind schedule anyway. I, I, I really hope it explodes. Movies versus TV shows and very, very similar content types. And yet 110 countries versus six doesn't stack up to me. Well, the movies, no, movies are simpler because you're dealing with studios instead of bloody television stations. Yeah, you got to remember yeah. that there each television station in in each region, each here in the United States, it's the local television station. Then it's the affiliates. Then it's on a uh, you know regional, and then it's national. I mean, there's so many different people with their hands out that want a piece of that pie. That doing negotiations for television is infinitely harder than movies. It's it's you can't even compare the two. Well, how many movie studios are there? And, and what countries are they in? They're mostly American companies, and there's a handful of them. Yep. How many people make yeah, and, TV shows? Oh, it, it's, it's massive. Yeah, but, but then conversely, couldn't they come... I mean, market size is definitely a factor, of course, but couldn't they come to New Zealand and talk to the local production houses? If they're interested. And if there was enough money to be made. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's got to be terribly frustrating, though, for the countries who don't have those things. I mean, I can really hmm. see that side of it, you know I mean? Because Apple Pay, honestly, as far as just how easy it is to use and how secure it is and how well it works is fabulous. Of course, everyone would want that. I mean, I can really see that side of it. It's just, it's just taking a long time, relatively speaking, for these things to roll out, it seems like. Well, just All you have to do is start reading into banking and finance law and you'll understand that it's not an easy task to roll something like this in, in multiple countries. Okay, I'm going to move us on into the third of our big stories, which is that apparently, according to Amazon support people anyway, Amazon are weeks away from releasing an app for the new Apple TV for their Amazon video content. So can everyone collectively say, woohoo? Woohoo! No. No? How many countries can you get Amazon video in? Again, None. Sorry to hark back to that. but Not many, but on a point of principle, after Amazon's yeah. stupidity, I think this is good. And I've heard commentary that... Um, once they get that app on the Apple TV, that they may consider start selling the Apple TV again, which would seem like a logical thing to do. That will be very good. I hope that's true. Um, the next thing I thought was worth mentioning uh, is that Adobe have decided that uh, Flash is on the way out. So say goodbye to Flash Professional CC and say hello to Animate CC. So the same basic, the same package in terms of what it can do, but its name has changed. And also, Adobe now say that you should use this same software and you should keep paying Adobe for it. But instead of using that software to create Flash files, you should use that software to create HTML5 standard compliant stuff. So as iOS users, this is bloody brilliant because Flash is just not good. Agreed. And maybe... You know, people say that you shouldn't need Flash for the most part around the web, and I totally agree, but there's one major exception, and that is our local uh, television networks who, you know, have their catch-up and some advanced material on their websites, and they're completely up with the play and providing all the coolest features, and it's all in Flash. And they have an no app? The, well, they have an app, 
but the point is if I want to watch it on my Mac, you know, I've got a couple of screens here and I just want to sort of play it in the background while I'm doing something else, I have to use Flash. It's most yeah. annoying. Well, the BBC are terrible for this. Most BBC content news. providers are so far behind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all the stuff around the outside looks pretty, you know, modern and useful and the searches work really well and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, when it comes to delivery, it sucks. So, anyway, we're a step closer to our flash-free world. And as a security person, I'll also say this can't come soon enough. It just <laughs> oh. can't. It, and Adobe's in your corner when it comes to that, too. Do you know how much bad PR and how much money it costs yeah. them? Flash, they hate it. They, they'll never come out and admit it now especially with their big spat with Steve Jobs five years, seven <laughs> years, eight years ago. But they hate Flash. They want everyone to stop using it because it's it costs them. They don't make money on Flash anymore. It just simply costs them money. Yeah, it was once a flagship product driving their sales, and now it's become a weight around their neck holding them back. I, and I'm not saying that as guessing. I know that for a fact. I know somebody at Adobe in a very high position who told me exactly that. Uh, in, internally at Adobe, they hate Flash. They hate it. Well, at least they have taste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that gives me some hope. <laughs> okay, and then the final story I have in the main news section is uh, Tim Cook was doing some interviews, and he said, he was in Ireland actually, so I guess there's a little local interest story here. He came to Ireland to say that there's a hundred, or sorry, a thousand more jobs coming to Apple's Cork office, regardless of what the EU decided about Apple's tax arrangements here. Uh, and they're committed to Ireland in the long haul, they say. But while he was here, he obviously did media interviews because, well, it's Tim Cook. So, of course you will. And one of the things he said in the interviews is that, no, just because we have an iPad Pro, we are not going to merge iOS and OS ten because that's not good for customers. That's not what customers want. And I just did a little happy dance when I heard that. Any, any I thoughts? I, I don't think Apple has ever intended to merge the two. I think Steve Jobs... Way back when this was first kind of circulating that will these two will ever merge, he had a perfect response, which is, no, the use cases mean we need two different operating systems. They do two different things. The use cases are totally different. Whereas Microsoft is, no, we'll just make Windows and it'll run on everything. And you see how good that works for them. It doesn't. And a Apple is just so much smarter than the rest of the tech industry when it comes to this. One size does not fit all. And Apple recognizes that. They always have. The Mac is their DNA. It always has been. It always will be. No, the, the, many years ago now, we first heard the stupid word iOSification because they made OS ten and iOS have similar, you know, be similar enough that you could learn, you know, that as you move from one to the other, it wouldn't be a jarring, horrible conflict. And people lost their bloody minds about the iOSification of OS X and it's the end of the world and it's going, oh, our beloved Macs are being destroyed and blah, 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 blah. And I wrote a blog post, which is, I must check the date, but it's many, many years old now. And I said, no, you're all wrong. That's not what's going to happen. Apple are not going to merge the two. What's happening is not iOSification. It's Star Trekification. I love this theory. Yeah. So your data is magically in the cloud and you are going to use the perfect device with the perfect UI for where you are in any given situation. Sometimes in Star Trek, that means a tiny little handheld tricorder contraption. Sometimes it means a screen like the size of you standing up. Sometimes it means a little panel in front of you on the bridge. Sometimes it means, a, I can't believe it's not a MacBook. Sometimes it means it's a fake iPad. It doesn't matter. You're going to have your data everywhere, and the, oh, the OS, the UI, is going to match the device. 
Well, that's where Apple's driving here. iCloud has your data. Sometimes you get out your data with a Mac. Sometimes you get out your data with an iPad. Sometimes you get out your data with an iPhone. You're using a touch OS with your fingers. You're using a keyboard OS with a desktop or a laptop. It's perfect. It's right. It's the right idea. Don't touch it. That, that to me, is what I always said they would do, and I'm delighted that that seems to be true. Well, here's an interesting extension to that. If it's such a ordained thing that uh, iOS and OS X are going to merge, I'm intrigued as to how that new Siri remote is going to work with OS X on the TV. <laughs> you know, I really don't want, fun. I don't want them to merge any more than anybody else, uh, True Mac guys. But how cool would it be to be able to go into iTunes and launch an iPhone or an iPad app within iTunes and play a game there on your computer? That would be pretty cool. It'd probably be horrible, though. Yeah, it depends on the device. I mean, if you had a laptop with a, a trackpad, it would be fine. Not for all games, but, you know, if I wanted to play, for instance, uh, Pac-Man 256, why can't I play that on my Mac and iTunes? But isn't the answer to do what Apple are doing, which is this concept of a universal app where you can buy an app once and have a Mac version, an Apple TV version, and an iOS version? So yeah, that's great, the but they haven't they haven't done that for the Mac yet. It, that's only on iOS yeah. and TVOS, okay, well which to is throw, iOS. They need to throw the Mac into the mix too, and that's purely that's just a pricing thing within that bloody store that's so so not fit for purpose. Well, that's a whole different story of what's going on with the Mac App Store right now. But I agree. I think you should be able to buy a Pac-Man two five six and play it on any Apple device. But that's not just up to Apple. That's also up to the developers and. I don't think Apple's developers? in a position yet to uh, to c- shove that down people's throats. The developers already deal with multiple um, platform, in a sense, in that your iOS games that can use an external controller, and now TVOS, well, not TVOS, but well, yes, it is TVOS, it is TVOS isn't TVOS, it? Yeah. Um, you know, TVOS games that have to be able to use the the Siri remote or a controller, um, or in some cases, you know, that um, you know, you might have. Um, where games used to run on on iOS and then send the image to the TV, maybe that dynamic changes and you could use iOS devices for controllers on the TV. So it's just a case of adapting to the environment, much like the Star Trek universe, but you could adapt between multiple devices. So, yeah, I mean, running uh, an iOS app on the Mac shouldn't be that hard. The only challenge you have to beat, which isn't that big a challenge, is control. But I see, I think that's the point. I, I don't think you should be trying to run an iOS app. I think... And Apple are very close to this. I think it should be a case that it's easy for developers to have one brain, so they write their core libraries once, and then they put a different skin, a different UI on them for each of the different types of interacting. So a UI for sixty for twenty foot away, whatever distance you sit from a television, a UI for your fingers, and a UI for your keyboard. And yeah. I mean, if only, if only Apple was coming up with something like a, a, some kind of a Swift programming language that would <laughs> do exactly that. No, yeah, that would never happen. <laughs> no, never happened. And and maybe make it open source. Oh my god, we're not. That's, no, a that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean we're actually getting quite close. I mean, okay, so Swift is there, and then we'll talk about that in a while. But even in terms of the um, the various things ending in Kit, like it's been the same uh, graphics engine under the hood, the same audio engine under the hood. Like a lot of the under the under the hood libraries that make developing for Apple thingies what it is are in common between the different OSs. So we're already very yeah. close to the ideal world. What's missing is that the bloody App Store is useless. 
and that commonality is is increasing over time as well. Okay, well, I'm going to draw a line under the main stories and just end by just quickly mentioning a few other things. So, last month, we didn't have time to talk about the Steve Jobs movie. Apparently, no big loss because it's been unceremoniously dropped for most cinemas. So, the thing is, universally considered a bit of an old flop. So, I don't feel too bad we didn't get to talk about it. Uh, A beta version of Apple Music has arrived on Android and... Uh, Tim Cook will receive the Ripple of Hope Award from the Robert F. Kennedy Center for Justice and Human Rights on December 8th for his work on behalf of social change. Somewhat embarrassingly, in the same week's news, we have an Australian Apple store throwing out kids because, well, they were too black to be in an Apple store. That that was disgusting. I don't know if you guys watched that video, but, oh, that got my hackles up. That was, that was just ridiculous. It was horrific. I And the... Especially when you look at the, at the kid going, really? Are you yeah, he really was throwing us out? He was incredulous, and I was too watching it. I was, I was upset about it. That was that was just horrible. Yeah. Now, I think Apple's response was very good. Um, they the, the manager apologized profusely to those kids, and Tim Cook's letter to all staff, which is included in the show notes, is very good. And basically. This is not us, right? This is not what we normally do. Is basically, you know, and it's at least they responded to well, but that should just never have happened. Like, urgh. well, Tim Cook understands prejudice and and, and yep. being treated differently, and you know, <laughs> yes. I, I'm amazed that that would happen under his watch, and you know, it, he must have been just livid, justifiably so. I, I would not have liked to have been the person to knock on his office door and say, uh, Tim, I think you need to watch this. <laughs> because mm. that would not have been a pleasant afternoon. No. <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't want to be the security guard who told the guy to throw them out. No, that, I, more than a few people probably lost their jobs because of that. To Tim's probably. credit, though, he did use it as a teaching moment, as he almost always does. And, you know, he's really trying to make the world a, a better place. But you can't, you you can't. Uh, keep people from doing the things they do. A lot of people have a lot to learn when it comes to to stereotyping and prejudice and things like that. It's it's interesting, and I, I he always takes a high road on it though, and I, I really respect him for that. Yeah, absolutely. He deserves awards for for what he's doing in, in this regard, and you know he's got my respect. That's for sure. Yeah, and he does it in a very unconfrontational way because he's not out there making people cranky at him. He's just plodding along, doing the right thing. Yep. Yep. It's just saying, here's how it is, folks. It's really you can only simple. change one mind at a time, hopefully. And and his response to this is kind of uh, this gradual change. You, you can't change everyone really quickly, but gradually, maybe people will start getting the idea of, you know, we're all the same species here. We all have the same rights and we all deserve the same respect, regardless of your skin color, or your sexual orientation. Um, it, 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 none of that really matters. At the core, we all just need to be good people. Uh, and yeah, then we can I stop having war and stop killing each other. Yeah, there you cool. go. Everyone buy an Apple device of world harmony. We're all set. <laughs> if only it were quite that simple. But no, I, I, I agree completely. He's he's going about it in the right way. So yeah, what could have been a horrific story has, thanks to Tim's response, at least ends well, because it could have ended so badly. 
Okay, then, as has already been mentioned, um, Apple have followed through on their promise. Swift is open source, including the tools for Linux, as Apple had promised. And they're managing the project out in the open. The future development of Swift is happening on GitHub, not in a private repo, in a public repo on GitHub. So very unusually for Apple, we're going to get to watch the sausage be made on Swift 3.0. It's very, very unusual, but I really like it. Apple, uh, IBM has... Go ahead. Sorry, the most the most interesting comment I saw on all of this, and I saw a lot, <laughs> was Apple are handling the open sourcing of Swift in the way that everybody wishes they would handle all developer relations. Yes. <laughs> IBM has a website that you can actually program in Swift right in your web browser. Is that oh, wow. free or not? I, I yeah, saw it's it, free. I, completely oh, cool. free. Yep. I went and checked it out, and uh, it didn't work in Chrome for some reason, but it did work in Safari, so go figure. Well, IBM do have a thing with Apple. That's true. So, uh, and then the last thing I thought I would mention, it, it, some of our listeners, certainly not those of us in Ireland, but some of our listeners may be near an Apple store, and that Apple store may, de- may be taking part in Apple's Hour of Code thing for 2015. And if you are, then maybe your kids will be interested in it. So there's a link in the bottom of the show notes. And that brings us to the end of the November news. Um before I thank the panel and do the outros, just a reminder that there are full detailed show notes over at lets-talk.ie. And while you're there enjoying the show notes, you may also notice three large blue buttons under the heading support the show. Please consider using those buttons to support the show. So there is a Patreon, which is probably the most bang for your book way of supporting the show. Basically, you pledge a small amount of money for every episode I get out, and that's shared between Let's Talk Apple and Let's Talk Photography. So exactly two a month every month. And because of the way it works, all of the various fees and stuff to, to make that happen are all sort of aggregated. So out of your dollar per show, like almost all of it goes to me. Whereas anything else, there's always massive, massive cuts going out everywhere else. Uh, then there's a plain old PayPal button, and then there's also a new Zazzle store where you can buy merchandising stuff, which means that you support the show once by buying it, because I get a uh, commission. And then you get to wear it, and lots of people see the cool logo, and maybe they'll ask you about the show or whatnot. So, you know, you sort of advertise and help directly. And, of course, just going to the iTunes store and reviewing the podcast is a really good way to support the show. We're tweeting about it to your friends, so it doesn't have to be financially. Uh and to all of you who are patrons on Patreon, thank you very much. You guys make it possible for me to keep doing this show, so I really do appreciate it. Okay, panel, thank you very much for giving freely of your time. Without you guys, this would not be a very interesting show. So I always appreciate when you do that. Um, in reverse order, Tim, do you want to let the listeners know where they can hear more from you? Sure. Uh, I do a weekly show with a uh, co-host named David Cohen. It's called Tech Fan. It's techfanpodcast.com. I also produce uh, a number of different shows, including the MyMac podcast. So we've been uh, publishing MyMac.com for 20 years now, almost 21 years. And uh, that's one of the longest-running podcasts on the planet when I started that back way back in 2004. So if people go to MyMac.com, they can find more from me. They can find the MyMac podcast. And, of course, there is this little thing called the Stoplight Network. Your listeners may have heard about that, too. I was going to say, they would have heard the jingle at the start of the show, and then, like, about a minute from now, they're going to hear another jingle, and then there'll be a bumper <laughs> for some show. Actually, we'll do one for TechFan this week, since you're here. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah, so we're all part of the... So all those podcasts together are part of the Stoplight Network, and you are the head honcho, so do you want to tell people more about it? 
Sure. The Stoplight Network is really designed for new podcasters and existing podcasters. If you start a new show, how do you get listeners? That's the hardest thing. Bart, I mean, you've been going now for a little over two years now, isn't it? It we Yeah, this is show number 27. Therefore, it's three months more than two years. So there you go. So when you started, you had zero listeners. When you made your first episode, nobody was listening because you didn't have an audience yet. So with the Stoplight Network, when you join that network and you start a new show, all the other podcasts play an ad for another show in the network. And since your show was brand new, everybody jumped on, ooh, a new commercial. We're going to play that one. Um, and it lets other podcast listeners learn about a new show they may be interested in. And that's as, that's the extent of the network right now. It's simply a way to learn about other podcasts that not necessarily the same type of content, but maybe the same flavor, maybe the same sensibilities. That's what it's really about. Yeah, it's nice. As a podcaster, it's it's very daunting to be on your own and to be, you know, setting up RSS feeds and submitting to Apple and stuff. And it's not difficult. It's just daunting. But it's amazing how simply saying, Tim, can you give me a hand with, makes like all the difference in the world. It is infinitely easier to set up a show with someone than on your own, even though it's not actually that difficult either which way. It's just there's a lot of value in a community. So uh, I well, guess a lot of people who podcast nowadays, back in the, when, it, when I first started, everybody who podcasted, it was, they were all tech shows because it was a whole bunch of nerds like me. But now anybody can start their own show and doing the uploads and doing the RSS feeds, that can be a little intimidating. As part of the Stoplight Network I offer, not everybody takes advantage of it, but I offer to host shows, do the RSS feed, get it into iTunes. Uh, I do all of that in the background. And, of course, I don't charge people money to do that. Although if we had a 1,000 shows, I might be like, hey, wait a minute, guys. <laughs> yeah, that may not <laughs> scale to little, infinity. Let's yeah. get a little expensive on my end hosting this much stuff. Uh, but, for instance, when, when Bart does... Uh, this show or the photography show, he simply puts them in Dropbox, sends me an email that it's ready to go. I upload it to my server via FTP. I do the RSS feed, upload that as well, and the show's live. Yeah, so it means as a podcaster, you get to worry about your content instead of about exactly. your tech. Exactly, and that's kind of what I started the network for the technical side because I like podcasting, Bart. I love it. I love listening to it. I like doing it, but I like listening to it. And I'll be honest with you, um, I, I want more stuff for me. I want more <laughs> stuff that I can listen to. It, it, it's it's really that simple. And the most creative people generally aren't the most technical people. So if I could help that, I get more stuff I get to listen to. It's the old tech race. Scratch your own itch. So there you go. There you go. Anyway, it also gives me an opportunity having you on uh, to say thank you very much for what you do on the network because it definitely made it a lot easier for me to get these shows off the ground. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. I, I like listening to your shows and uh, anything I could do to help, I'm I'm more than happy to. I wish I could have been on earlier. You've asked me quite a few times. Yeah, but we I under you know it's a monthly show that makes it extra hard to get people on. Yeah, and you know you're a busy man. I do a lot of traveling for OWC. That's my day my day job. O Other world computing. Who, by the way, I think we've all said it before the pre-show, but we all love OWC, so keep up the good work there. Thank you. I'll, I'll let them know. Uh, so thank you, Tim, and hopefully we'll hear your voice again at some stage, perhaps a little bit quicker than two and a half years. Okay, Robert, do you want to let people know where you can be found on the internets? Sure. Thanks for having me on this time, Bart. I really enjoyed being here. Nice to, talking to all you guys. Well, I'm uh, Robert Carter on Twitter. I'm Robert underscore Carter. 
And I do a podcast called the Tech Doctor Podcast. I produce it and co-host it with Allison Hartley. And our podcast is really all about helping people who utilize voiceover with their Apple devices to get the most out of voiceover with the iPhone, iPads, Apple TV, Apple Watch, and everything else. All of them operate very, very well and are fully accessible to someone who uh, needs to make use of voiceover. And that podcast is at dr-carter.com, dr-carter.com. So uh, we really enjoy uh, producing it and and, uh, have some great developers and people on there who are doing really cool things with Apple accessibility. It's a very exciting time right now. So anyway, again, thanks for having me on. I sure enjoyed it. Pleasure as always. And finally, Alistair, do you want to give out some links to the listeners? Sure. Uh, I do far too many things online and and I'm a serial non-finisher on many of them. Uh, But I tend to link everything into one place, which you can find at zkarj.me. And you can find me ranting or trying not to rant on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash zkarj. Excellent. Or Allison is great on Twitter. I love following him. Oh, thank you. Okay, thank you very much, folks. Uh, Pleasure as always. So I've been your host, Bart Boucher, so you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. I don't know who you are, but I will find you. And when I do, you had better be listening to the Tech Fan Podcast. Because if you're not, well, you may not live long enough to regret it. Remember, it's called the Tech Fan Podcast. Listen, and you won't regret it.